Hello, I'm P. Andrew Sandlin, founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership. This is a unique uh, audio version of the weekly newsletter, Culture Change. You can sign up for that uh, digital newsletter at uh, substack.com. Uh, Just type in Culture Change, and uh, you can get it uh, delivered for free every week, generally every Friday morning to your mailbox. I appreciate all of you uh, readers and your feedback and your prayer and your financial support that keeps this e-newsletter and uh, the Center for Cultural Leadership going. This particular audio episode is titled, You Can't Fix Just One Thing. Many of us have been to the auto repair shop, or at least heard of those who have been to an auto repair shop. And the uh, service writer at the desk comes back after talking to the technician who says, well, you brought it in for one problem, and actually, the more we looked, it's related to two or three other problems. So we're talking about some serious money here. We can't fix one thing without fixing other things that are really the cause of that uh, initial problem that you thought was the exclusive problem. You can't fix just one thing. I suggest this is an exceedingly helpful metaphor for understanding uh, the cultural situation in which uh, Christians find themselves. If you're committed to a cultural reclamation, and I'm assuming that uh, most of you listening to this are committed to precisely that, that is to say, of restoring culture to uh, its more distinctively Christian and biblical basis, if I say you believe that, it's imperative to understand you can't fix just one thing. If you aren't committed to cultural reclamation, which really is another way of saying you're really not committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all of life, you have other and even more serious problems. But if you do believe that Christians are called to influence culture in distinctively Christian ways, then it's imperative to understand uh, the implications of this maxim. Each of us is limited in his gifts. In common parlance, uh, nobody is good at everything. If we're uh, fortunate and blessed by God, we often find our vocation, that at which we uh, generate income, uh, quite in line with our uh, particular gifts. Uh, speaking of auto repair, uh, if we're mechanically inclined, we might be an auto mechanic uh, or a diagnostician uh, working in an uh, auto shop. If we're interested in and also gifted in uh, human health, we might be a, a physician or a nurse or perhaps involved in uh, emergency vehicles, uh, first uh, responders, and so forth. We have teachers and salesmen and uh, scholars and cosmetologists, and we could go on and on. As we think a little more broadly about culture, we're tempted when uh, looking at the task of cultural reclamation to assume that our particular gift and area of expertise is the one that, uh, if solved, which is to say, if the uh, cultural failure relating to the area in which we have been gifted is solved, then it will have largely solved the cultural problem. Uh, but this is a uh, mistaken notion. Aspects of culture are all interrelated, and today, in the midst of our digital revolution and the rapidity of uh, travel and transmission of information, more than ever. Let me be more specific. 
if we understand the importance of the family, and the family is indeed important, the uh, institutional cornerstone of uh, human society and God's creational world, uh, we might assume that uh, repairing the uh, massive problems in the modern family will solve our cultural problem. All of us remember James Dobson's vital ministry, Focus on the Family. And uh, the family is indeed an institution on which a Christian should focus. It should be reclaimed to the glory of God and restored to its biblical basis. But to assume that uh, we can focus on the family exclusively and thus solve cultural problems uh, is uh, actually quite naive. One reason for that is that areas outside the family, art and uh, music and politics and obviously the church, and entertainment and much else, uh, all of these have a particular impact on the family such that the family as institution uh, cannot remain intact as a strong Christian institution if these other factors uh, don't generally reinforce it. And then consider the church. This of course is uh, God's uh, central redemptive institution in society, the family's not an inherently redemptive institution. Uh, had the fall never happened, we'd still have the family, but not the church. The church was instituted precisely uh, because of the fall. And it uh, exists to uh, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and uh, protect right belief, which we call orthodoxy, and administer the sacraments or ordinances, maintain discipline among uh, the people of God. The church, therefore, has a unique and irreducible role. Uh, however, uh, revival and reformation in the church won't necessarily lead to revival and reformation in the wider culture. We have uh, plenty of uh, historical precedents for uh, that assertion. There have been a number of ecclesial or church revivals uh, historically in which uh, the church, or particular churches, even in a large geographic area, even in a nation like the United States, First Great Awakening, uh, well, that was in the colonial era, but uh, in the Americas, and then even the Second Great Awakening in the in the 19th century brought churches to a higher level. But to the extent uh, that that awakening was uh, limited to the church itself, it didn't have a great cultural impact. Uh, let me put it in a more accurate way. The extent to which uh, the awakenings produced uh, salutary a cultural change for the extent to which Christians specifically refused to uh, limit the faith uh, to the church. We sometimes hear the uh, notion that the church is the barometer of the culture and that evil and sin begins in the church and uh, if it can be solved in the church then uh, that solution, that godly solution will work out more widely into the culture but this is false. I once heard a minister say that uh, feminism began in the church. That's historically mistaken and naive. It certainly did not begin in the church. All to the contrary. It began in an egalitarian culture and uh, in the modern world largely as a result of the uh, subversion of hierarchies in the French Revolution and through the thinking of intellectuals like uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. So uh, the notion that sin begins in the church uh, and moves outward to the culture, and therefore if sin can be nipped in the bud in the church, that the culture can be Christianized, that idea is false. More uh, misguided yet is uh, the idea that some Christians have that if we can just change politics or the state, 
uh, we can produce a massive cultural change. The irony here is that this is uh, largely a leftist idea. Uh, leftists have long believed that the way to change a, a culture and its society is to capture the coercive levers of politics and impose a particular social vision. Uh, that uh, certainly was the idea of the French Revolution and all subsequent revolutions, uh, particularly all Marxist revolutions. And the leftists today want political power uh, so that they can create their egalitarian society. Um, radical equality, not just economic equality, but uh, sexual equality, the normalization of homosexuality and so-called transgenderism and so forth. So when Christians assume that if they can just capture the White House, if they can elect uh, Ronald Reagan or George W. Bush or Donald Trump, that in so doing they can effect uh, at least a semi-permanent cultural change, uh, they're sadly mistaken. The fact is politics is not nearly as important as it is assumed to be by the left. It is important, according to Romans 13, the state has a vital role. But uh, political change does not necessarily produce cultural change. In fact, as the adage goes, I think Don Eberly uh, dubbed this idea in the in the 80s, if I'm not mistaken, that the politics is downstream from culture. Interestingly, as the conservatives and Christians have gained political victories, at precisely the same time, they've been losing the culture. This also means that... Uh, if Christians want to produce um, a better politics and a Christian-influenced politics uh, in, let's say, uh, 2030 or 2040, they should work hard to influence the culture now. You certainly can't assume that if you fix uh, politics, you're going to fix culture. The inextricability of uh, these main institutions, family, church, and state, as well as other secondary institutions or spheres, dimensions of life, uh, music and art, literature, uh, film, uh, all of these, uh, science, technology, medicine, all of these areas of life are intertwined and they're not uh, hermetically sealed. And to repair one and assume that uh, that will automatically uh, repair all of the others is wrong. In other words, we actually have to work on repairing all of these simultaneously. Uh, this foundation leads to, I believe, an important and even profound observation. Christian institutions like the family and the church cannot survive long in their integrity without uh, godly cultural reinforcement. I'm not suggesting that uh, a church cannot be strong in an evil culture. Uh, that idea would be quickly refuted by looking at the New Testament and the patristic church. Uh, even today, there can be uh, strong, marginalized but strong churches in places where there is strong political and or cultural hostility. Uh, in North Korea, for example, and increasingly in China and in uh, some Islamic regimes. But this is only a temporary phenomenon. I would suggest, for example, that had the primitive church and then the sub-apostolic church not pressed the claims of Jesus Christ in all of life where God had placed them and been effective 
under the power of the Spirit of God in their boldness and had not Constantine or someone like him have relaxed that persecution and that's what he did. He uh, supported religious toleration. He didn't make Christianity some sort of state religion as is sometimes believed. If I say something like that had not happened, there could not have been a Christian civilization, a Western culture as we know it. The church would have been on the margins, and the church little by little, uh, apart from maybe an exception here and there, as a sectarian religion, uh, that alone could have survived. Put another way, we don't have historical examples of strong, multi-generational, uh, virile uh, Christian churches and families and societies that are perpetually and actively hostile to the faith. Uh, these two are, over time, mutually exclusive. Another way of putting this is to say that the Christian faith will gradually uh, conquer and subordinate anti-Christian societies and culture and uh, peacefully bend them to its will, which is to say the Lord's will, or uh, strongly anti-Christian, um, secular or neo-pagan, Islamic, Marxist, whatever the case may be, uh, political systems and societies will uh, crush and subordinate the Christian family and church which is to say that we're either exercising godly dominion and uh, creating the pathway for the victory of uh, individual families and churches, or they're gradually being snuffed out by uh, hostile cultural forces. So I have a message for faithful Christian fathers. Uh, if you think that you can rear your children strongly in the faith and have no interest whatsoever in the culture, please understand that everything that you and your wife hold to be sacred is opposed by everything uh, that your children encounter when they walk outside your door. And pastors and church leaders understand that everything outside the church doors is hostile to everything that you hold to be godly and truthful and right within the four walls of your sanctuary. Uh, and to assume that all of the incentives for evil on the outside can be counterbalanced by the godly incentives on the inside and that they can be at a state of equilibrium is the height of naivete. Evil and good in society are never in a state of equilibrium. Uh, the Lordship of Jesus Christ in a particular culture at a particular time uh, is either increasing or decreasing. This is why uh, Christians and Christian institutions should be attempting to influence culture in the places uh, in which God has situated them and with the gifts with which God has vested them at all times and in all places. Not every individual or church or institution even can do everything. 
but all of us must be working to influence the entire culture for Jesus Christ. Cultural disincentives to vigorous Christianity will, if left unaddressed and unchecked, eventually dampen and overwhelm biblical Christianity. That's why they cannot be left unmolested and unchecked. We must stand for the Lordship of Christ and attempt to influence every area of life and thought for Jesus Christ the King. You can't fix just one thing. I'm P. Andrew Sandlin, Center for Culture Leadership at ChristianCulture.com. Also check out DocSandlin.com. Hope to be back next week uh, resuming the actual digital newsletter with the title, Cultural Tyranny, Trump's Political Tyranny. Please pray for the Center for Cultural Leadership and send a donation today at the links provided.